We're talking the politics of women in the film industry. This is the NDL Show. Thank you for joining us. This unbelievably beguiling track is by Boucher featuring Josiah, the disciple. It is called Wanna Give It All. Please allow us to take you through this show. After a long period of toxicity, it makes me believe so much more in this concept of truly unconditional love. It is by Boucher featuring Josiah the Disciple. It is called One Egg, Give It All. If this is a sign you were looking for when it comes to that relationship or even shooting your shot, no matter what it is, this is it. Go big or go home, it's really all or nothing, even when it comes to the NDL show. If you need to listen to it again, as I constantly do, it is available on all digital platforms from her album that was released earlier on this year. It is titled Izzy Bongo. And it is a beautiful mixture of music for the feels as well as for the post-feels per session of Amapiano. So do be sure to check that one out. She is at Buche underscore SA as well as at Josiah the Disciple on Insta. Do follow them for more updates. 
Thank you for joining us yet again on this platform. It is episode 20, which is quite crazy. You know, it's so easy to get discouraged. It gets tiring hustling. But life shows you that you have to just keep breaking those boundaries. So whatever your hustle is, I know I always say this. Don't let anything stop you. Perhaps take a short break, but don't let anything come between you and that thing. So listen, we have so many songs and content to share with you, so really do stick with us. And don't be afraid to share the music you hear on the show. If there is local music that we need to be aware of, please do plug us. This is what we're about. And while we're here, I just want to thank you on the behalf of myself and the producer of this show for listening and constantly encouraging us to continue with this thing. And if you're not doing so already, kindly hop onto the socials and follow us at The NDL Show. Send us your music to our email, theNDLshow1 at gmail.com. Also remember to stream the show on our website on theNDLshow.co.za. And we have sorted out our payments, so when you feel like you have extra coins and you want to, you can donate to the show through the website. Merch is also loading as we speak. We're talking t-shirts, hoodies, sweaters, purely just for you. So keep a lookout. We want to do something exciting for for that launch and obviously we need you to be there. As anticipated, we are talking the experiences of women in the film industry on this show, so do stay tuned. Hi, this is Kanisa and you are now tuned into the NDL show. Coming up on episode 20 on the NDL show, we talk selectivity when it comes to believing women, local artists signing to international record labels, the unspoken data breach, ghetto hairstyles and cancer causing gender-based violence. In our commentary and in our main segment, we delve deeper into the politics of women in the film industry with Gitumezi Kali who is well known as Director Kit. All of this coming up, stay tuned. talk about how certain women are invalidated when it comes to them expressing what people, specifically men, have done to them. I say this because we're constantly witnessing how women speak out about sexual harassment and how society literally decides whether the story is valid or not. And then when society decides that it isn't, they attack that woman. And the way the country is built right now, as I've said before, I believe and I stand with all women who speak out against alleged perpetrators. And I'm not stuttering because I think it's safer to have the alleged perpetrator do everything he or even she can to prove that the accusation isn't true. And I understand that it might be hard. But rather that than invalidate these experiences because too many women for too long are victims and out of that many, there's a relative small percentage of women who lie and have ill intentions. I don't know, what do you think? Because we have normalized changing our perspectives once new information is brought forth. An article on Tech Central detailing the breach of the personal information of 24 million South Africans was published on the 19th of August this year. As to why this article was not as loud as the many is another question of which I have no answer. It is said that the Credit Bureau experience suffered the breach which also led to the revelation of confidential information of approximately 800,000 South African businesses to a suspected fraudster, they say, as reported by the South African Banking Risk Centre. Now, 
for a while, there's been this whole conspiracy of how COVID-19 is a cover-up of something they're doing up there somewhere. And I'm not saying this conspiracy relates to this article, but now that we're here, have you heard about it? About how COVID-19 is a catalyst of something that we don't know about? Let me know. In other news, shout out to Elaine for getting signed to one of the most reputable record labels, Columbia. Records, as you will know, is a home to many renowned artists, including Beyonce. And we have a number of South African acts who are signed to international recording labels. And upon Elaine's revelation, Minister of Arts and Culture Natim Tatwa congratulated Elaine like he was doing something about the organizations here for creatives. And this is baffling because I wonder whether he understands how little attention he has been paying to the creatives in this country. And as we progress, Mini Lamini still hasn't deleted her offensive tweets in which she posted a photo of herself in Bantanots and captioned it, just because it's ghetto does not mean it's not fabulous. We as a country and respective members of the kangaroo court on Twitter waited for an apology that did not come. We clearly still have a long way to go when it comes to unlearning these very self-destructive prescriptions. Finally, Social Development Deputy Minister Henrietta Bohobane-Zulu has proposed that cancer causes gender-based violence. Yes, I am also shook. The minister made a thread on Twitter about how cancer is one of the unnoticed causes of GBV. Her hypothesis is that when a man has testicular or prostate cancer and can no longer perform sexually, he feels less of a man and resolves to gender-based violence. Equally, when a woman with cervical cancer undergoes treatment and is unable to perform, it leads to many forms of abuse, including the justification of her partner's cheating. Now, what do you think about this? Because I thought that men, and in rare cases women, cause gender-based violence. In my perspective, this is another excuse that shifts the blame from men to something completely unrelated. Let us know what you think on the socials, otherwise the main segment is coming your way. Do stay tuned. Country killing governance, good governance and fighting corruption. Which one comes first, the country or the ANC? The NC comes first because without NC, there's no country for now. No, there is a country without NC. There is no country without NC. If you go, without the NC, if you go back, if you go back, what has happened? It's only the NC that has made sure that the lives of the people are being taken care of. That's why the opposition parties are doing their work, what they are doing. By them opposing Uzandine to be in parliament, it's because they know exactly that how hard we can work for the NC. Thank you for staying tuned. So on the NDL show today, we are still exploring the concept around the politics of women. And today we will be unpacking these politics when it comes to directing and the film industry. You know, we've heard the cries and concerns of women who have spoken out about their experiences when it comes to casting, what they have had to do to get certain roles and the politics just continue. So to give us perspective on the extent to which these politics go when it comes to the entertainment and or film industry, we have one of the most renowned directors in South Africa. We know her as director Kit. Yes, I am talking about the one and only Gidmezi Kali. She has directed a number of films to commercials for esteemed brands such as Edgar's to trailers, including the trailer for the Netflix series Blood and Water. 
She has been featured in the Forbes Africa 30 Under 30 this year. She is an esteemed holder of a SAFTA Award for Best Factual or Educational Program. And to tell you the truth, that is just the mere summary of the many things that she has done for herself. And she's only getting started. She ain't even done yet. So really, I am excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the NDL Show and thank you for joining us, Gita Metsi. Hi, Nondu. Um, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about women and film and all the politics that come with it. Yeah, I am also excited. Now, before we get into those very politics, you have captured so many of our hearts with the amazing work that you have done. What prompted you to go on this journey in directing and film specifically? Um, I don't know. It was definitely, it felt kind of like a natural progression from starting off. Um, doing arts, having an interest in drama at school. And I've just always been drawn to the creatives. In high school, when we learned about film study and I realized that I could actually have a career watching movies, it just felt like the the most obvious choice in the world to do. So it's been a passion of mine since I was very young and I'm very lucky and grateful to have always had a very clear vision of what I want to do. And I've I've just followed through on it. That is actually so awesome. And, you know, when I think of directing, I realize how much potential and creative people are. I mean, you envision something that doesn't necessarily exist and bring it to life. What largely informs your creative process and what actually happens in your mind in those moments? It's different for different kinds of jobs. Uh, There are some jobs where I don't really have a lot of creative freedom, where I have the brief and that it is what it is. Mm. But Surprisingly, when there's a brief, you actually, it's not that I don't really have creative freedom. I just don't have the initial creative freedom. What it then does is that it creates limitations that I have to work within. And that creates a pathway for how my train of thought develops when it comes to creating the vision. So actually quite often having a brief or something is a really nice way of controlling the creative process of making it easier. Mm-hmm. Then the alternative is when I work on my own projects and I just I come up with an idea and that's the harder one. That's that's the stuff that takes a little bit longer. The creative process of coming up with something is challenging because you're you're making something up out of nothing, but you need to make it feel real and relatable and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is it is quite a process and it's always different. Every single time I get on a project, I swear to God, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I can completely relate. I know I experience that sometimes, most of the times. <laughs> and we know that this industry is dominated by men from producers to directors to cinematographers. How would you describe your experience with the film industry? Is it as predatory as people describe it to be? I mean, yes, definitely it is. I mean, on most of the projects I'm on, on long form projects, on short form projects, from music videos to documentaries, to films, to commercials, it's always majority men. Mm. And I've had the biggest leaps and bounds in my career because I've had women uh, step up and take a chance on me or really vouch for me or create a safe space for me to work in. But um, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, all the men in the industry are terrible. I've also had uh, a lot of my confidence built from my male colleagues who who just see me as a peer or some who are actually feminists and who see the process and the challenges that I'm going through 
and who try their best to create a safe space for me. But the truth is, it is a male-dominated industry. It's affected how I've navigated the industry from day one. And the higher up I kind of go in my career, the more male-dominated it is. And it's, um, it's something that it's not going to change anytime soon because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that a lot of people aren't privy to. And there's big yeah. budgets that move around. So often when there's money involved, it takes a little bit longer for, for the rules to change. So for the women that are in the industry and um, the challenges that we're facing, we're trying really hard to change as much as we can so that the next group of girls coming through have it a little bit easier than us. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into those challenges. I mean, you are amongst the few women who are directing and black on top of that. What challenges have you and do you continue to personally experience because of those very two defining characteristics when it comes to this industry? You know, generally, just as a general thing, I always have a challenge with it. It's kind of a day-to-day challenge I have uh, because I know... I'm black, I'm a woman, um, I'm also like short. And so physically, I don't really look intimidating. Historically, I'm nothing when it comes to most people's opinion of what women are, what black women are. Walking into a space, I have all these things that I'm thinking about. And sometimes, or most times, I can see somebody treating me based on these things, based on how I look, based on my race. And I, I want to always put it aside because it is it is their idea of me it doesn't affect how i do my job yeah. it doesn't affect how i feel my how i feel about myself or how i view myself but for me to um not acknowledge it also means that i kind of like let the status quo continue so it's mm. always such a tricky thing and it's also tricky because every time you bring it up it feels like um to somebody that's not a black female, it really feels like you're, you're just talking over the same thing over and over again and you're yeah. not trying to focus. And that is one of the challenges black women have. When we do speak out and we do verbalize the experiences that we're having, you either get an audience of people cheering you on and supporting you, or you get an audience of people who are completely exasperated by everything you represent and they don't yeah. have the time for it. Well, the more recent example, mm-hmm. um, I was working on a, on a project and I was told by like a number of people that I should be, I should be really happy because the, the people who have invited me onto the project are actually one of the few people that support black women and give, well, that support women in general and give women a mm-hmm. chance, right? Looking into the project, I really have been put into this mindset that I should be grateful that I'm there to begin with. Yeah. Then as the process goes, the experience was, um, was not the best experience. I felt like I was bullied a lot of the time. But because I've already been set up to believe that I should be grateful to be in yeah. the room in the first yeah. place, it becomes very difficult to challenge anything that's happening. I mean, that's just one example. And that is completely based on, and that's not even, that's just a kind of like a boardroom example. Yeah. And there's other examples where I'd have, uh, I had this one, this one project I'd worked on with a recurring producer. And every time I had to go on recce's with him, I just, I, I didn't want to, because every time we'd be alone, he'd always make like very suggestive, very casual remarks about 
how I'm dressed, about how I look. And, you know, when I'm at work, I just want to work. I don't want to yeah. be aware of if I'm single, what, uh, what my hair looks like. Often it's, um, it's dressed in, in niceties and jokes and the set is like 90% guys. Everyone is very casual. They're talking about sex. They're making really rude jokes all the time. So there's a part of it that is the nature of the job, but there's a part of it that's just so, um, so difficult to be in, yeah, especially yeah. if you're like always the only woman in the room. You know, I really do understand what you're saying because sometimes people are told that, hey, from the get-go, you are lucky to have this job. And I mean, you're trying to get the coins, so you just become so silenced because it's like they could drop you at any moment if you start complaining. But are there any avenues that you may know of that people can explore when they're put in these kinds of situations where they're susceptible to violence? There are a lot of um, platforms where... You have women that come together and they talk about how we want to change the industry and they talk about the issues within the industry. Mm-hmm. And we've had a couple of uh, movements where it was definitely inspired the, by the Me Too movement, where within the creative industry, women started calling out sexual predators. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's definitely, um, it's not a safe space where you can do that because I personally, on the top of my head, don't know about such a thing. I don't know. And I'm in, I'm in groups with women. It means if it does exist, it's not, um, it's not present enough. And that still puts women at a disadvantage. Mm. Now, you play an instrumental role in selecting what and who goes into certain frames and films. And for a while, there has been this chat about the associations with light and dark-skinned women, especially on set. You know, in one of the episodes on the show, a guest of ours described the casting selection of the movie Straight Outta Compton and how they wanted a light-skinned woman for the purpose of depicting the imagery of luxury. And then the dark-skinned woman would depict everything that is tense and unfavorable about life including the struggle and poverty could you kindly walk us through the degree to which colorism plays a role in casting selections and films in our country because we know that it exists especially in film it's more of a subconscious thing with a lot of the people in the room but i will say the the industry is very aware of it because quite often i'll do a casting and i'll have casted for a mom and a daughter and a couple of people and then we sit down and everybody's very happy. And then somebody will, will make the clever call and be like, wait, let's just look at everybody that we cast on one page mm-hmm. and see what they look like. And quite often, if we're like, everybody is a little bit too light-skinned, then we can change it. It doesn't happen a lot. I've only had two experiences where we had a meeting like that, where we sat back and we said, are we sure that we're creating a balanced picture? Mm. It definitely is a little bit interesting. So in commercials, uh, dark skin is often something that represents a humble person, which is a really nice way of saying a poor person. Yeah. Or represents somebody who is exotic, right? Right. And again, it's like um, this very alternative idea of beauty, as opposed to you just saying this person is dark skinned and they're beautiful. But no, you can't say that. You must say that they're exotic. And even how we actually just look at print media and general television in South Africa, yeah. when there's a dark person, there's almost um, this playfulness when it even comes to how we do their wardrobe and their hair and their makeup. Push this idea that 
it's not exactly normal to be this dark. It's something that's exceptional, really cool. It's kind of what happened uh, the past couple of years with, um, with the industry really having this kind of obsession when it comes to an alternative kind of core, alternative kind of beauty. The direction is usually inspired by what happens in the States. But anyway, to get back to your point, we do have that same issue in our industry. And I do think it's got a lot to do with us as black people and definitely um, the white gaze that comes with the industry. And why I say us as black people, there's just a lot of unlearning that black people need to do. A lot of healing and a lot of loving that we need to do for ourselves so that we can be the first ones to appreciate our dark skin. Because Mm -hmm. we're the first ones to to think that a lighter skinned person is cleaner, you know? Mm, mm. Probably smells better. We aren't uh, helping in any regard when it comes to colorism in our industry. You know, I definitely agree. And on that note, I wanted to ask, how far do you think the film industry in South Africa has to go when it comes to changing this language around people with regard to their body shapes and skin tones and so much more? I think um, the, the minimal steps, the tiniest, tiniest steps have been taken. But um, when you look at the shows that are designed for the mass market, I mean, all those shows, they cast for light-skinned women with very tiny waists, you know, really curvy backs. The casting directors do it. The directors for some of these shows consciously want to do that. So we definitely have a long way to go. We're constantly seeing this pull-her-down syndrome that continues to germinate in society. You know, we see women feeling threatened of each other's positions, even when it comes to relationships, when it comes to being in the club. It could be your job, you know, everything, really. From your own experiences and observations, why do you think the way we relate to each other is often coupled with these kinds of negative experiences? Um, I think it's definitely born from uh, a sense of fear and insecurity. There's the fear that um, you, your, your power, your success it has to be based in reference to somebody else, whereas mm-hmm. all in isolation. And this has been one of the things I'm most grateful for. I think it's just very important generally as people to understand that for me to be successful and for me to win does not mean anything about anybody else. And if the person next to me is winning, I have this thing that I say to my one colleague and she's a female and she's a black female and we're both in this company together. The outside world, it'd be so easy to put us up against each other and to create this competitiveness and this negativity. And from day one, uh, we sat down together and we said, no matter what happens, we must never be enemies. Mm. Me and you are in a race uh, together. We're not in a race against each other. Mm. And if something really amazing happens to her, I get the sense that that same thing is possible for me now, mm. as opposed to, oh, it's happened to her, so that chance is completely gone. So I definitely think it's a, it's a mindset that people have, and it's something that can be corrected. And once people get a sense of their own confidence and their own self-worth, then a lot of that pull-her-down kind of behavior will definitely go away. 
I like that because I've noticed that we compare each other so much to the extent that our identity and positions dangerously rest on what the next person is doing and achieving. It's a thing that we subconsciously do and it gets so bad with the competitiveness. You know, we literally have to learn how to be in our own lanes and not constantly compare ourselves to the next person. Speaking about comparison, I wanted to find out from what you have observed why women constantly have to do the most. And I mean the most in terms of constantly having to overextend ourselves in different spaces in comparison to the minimum that men do yeah it's a it's a tricky one i had i worked in this one um company a while ago Mm -hmm. and there was this young girl she was an intern and she was working there and she was always flirting with the boss right Mm -hmm. and i was watching i was just i was watching it the whole time and then we had a shoot this one time and afterwards I was having a chat with her and then it was revealed to me that she was actually sleeping with the, the boss. In her mind, right, there's absolutely no way she could have gotten the job without either flirting with him or sleeping with him. And in my mind, listening to her, there was, it, it just did not make sense that she had to go that route. Yeah. So I think with a lot of women, we have been put at a disadvantage from a very, very early age. So now talking, I realize it's not necessarily something that she, she picked up when she got to the job. It's something that she's believed about her worth as a woman, but maybe when she started her period or even before that, or when she was a teenager. In that moment, I couldn't really talk her out of it because it's such a deep-seated way of thinking yeah. about uh, our value in the world, that our value is based on the acknowledgement of a man. It really did bother me because I felt, I felt like she's, she's probably one of thousands. Yeah. Thousands of girls who are so clever who really have no idea that they do not have to do anything like that to get to, to achieve their dreams or to get to, you know, to just even get close to achieving their dreams. And it's crazy because we have been doing this for so long, but how long are we supposed to overextend ourselves when it's like that? And then sometimes we overextend ourselves, not even in just um, in sexual ways. I find myself having to overextend myself all the time because the only way I can prove my worth is by the product I come out with. I'll have, I'll have done two commercials and the guy next to me would have done one commercial. My two commercials and his one commercial, my two commercials are still half of his one commercial. So I spend so much of my time and my life trying to make sure that at the end of the day, you're only ever going to judge me based on the work that I create. Like very recently, I've gotten to this weird place where I'm having to unlearn that thinking that's gotten me this far, that you're just going to judge me on the work that I do. What it's kind of done to me is that it's, it's almost made my self-value based on the work that I do. I got to a place where everything was, had an emotional attachment. And if a job didn't go well, then it was a reflection on me as opposed to it was just the job. It didn't go well and yeah. everything became a personal thing. And it's very dangerous. So that's my experience of having to overextend myself. And it's because it's, it's not a balanced uh, environment for women. And we do always have to go the extra mile. My mom said it to me and it's, I've stuck by it. She's like, um, I always have to work twice as fast and twice as hard as all the guys. And this kind of thinking is such a reality, hey? 
And you know, when I think about the film industry, I think of how instrumental it is in shaping our perceptions of real life. And I saw a tweet recently which made me think about how a number of films, including The Gods Must Be Crazy, for instance, changed our perspective of white people. You know, we were literally laughing at the movie where white people drop a Coke bottle from a helicopter and this bottle lands in the community of Khoisan people who try to understand the use of this bottle and how from a decolonial perspective, this movie tries to show how despite how white people violently subjected us to their rule, that they still brought things that were beneficial and made our lives easier, right? Now this tweet that I saw was addressing how in many films men have dressed up as plus-sized women to be comedic, right? We've seen it on White Chicks, we've seen it in so many other movies as well. And this has been so normalized in society to the extent that men think that they can make jokes about women and their weight in real life. And I wanted to know whether you think that this is true and that films have played a role in encouraging these kinds of unfortunate realities for women. No, it is true. We, they're called um, stereotypes in general life and in, in films and script world, they're called archetypes where you, you have these characters that are so entrenched in the, you know, the ecosystem of a genre. You know, you get comedy films where you're always going to have the chubby best friend who's really loud and really clumsy. Mm. And I've been the chubby best friend. I have a, a, you know, a chubby best friend, but if you, if that becomes the idea of the woman who doesn't get the love interest, the woman who, who's second best, that continues to instill the idea to us women on the receiving end of that, that, you know, you have to look a certain way to get the guy. It's our turn as South Africans to create our own archetypes, to create our own characters. And I really hope we do it with dignity because... Uh, we've been watching American stuff for so many years. It's very easy for us to just kind of copy paste that and do it on this side. Considering everything that we've spoken about, what have you learned that has helped you thrive despite everything? And I mean everything. For every single person, it starts uh, with you. I've, I've had um, major I- issues of jealousy and competitiveness and feeling insecure and uh, feeling like even when I've, one, this big thing that I'm not really deserving of it. And the only way I've ever gotten any of those things is um, by working on myself, by working on myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then when I'm really comfortable and when I'm confident with myself, it's so much easier for me to support my sister, to support my friend. And even if they're doing better than me, because I'm comfortable with who I am, it doesn't affect me. It's not a competition. It's not a race. It's just all this experience of love and support. So we can never work well as women if we don't have our own sense of self-worth intact. Yeah. And for those who are looking into getting into the film industry, what would you suggest are the best avenues to explore, to branch into the film space? You've got to start creating your own projects, first and foremost. And a lot of people will complain about not having equipment. It's not necessarily about having the right equipment. It's about having an idea. And quite often it's actually about finding like-minded people. So that's just step one. Step two is don't judge any experience that comes your way. So often I took jobs that my peers, like they just couldn't understand why I was doing this job. 
even today when I talk about some of the jobs I've had with my friends, they'll laugh at it. But I know exactly what I was doing. I had a plan. I took this very weird job that had absolutely nothing to do with being a director, but had everything to do with being a director. So don't judge any experience and work very, very hard. Wow, thank you so much for joining us on the NDL show, Miss Director Kit. Uh, thank you so much, Nondu. And I really appreciate what you're doing. When I was starting off, I didn't know about um, any black female directors um, that I could like hear about their experience. So creating platforms for people to hear just like really basic information like this is really good. So power to you and love and support to everybody listening. That was Gitumezi Kali, also known as Director Kit, who has done so much already within the film industry in South Africa. And I really do hope that this has broadened your worldview when it comes to the politics of women. And you know, the thing is, we didn't even go as deep as we wanted to with this series, but we certainly do hope that you are more cognizant of how we have to constantly turn ourselves down, overextend and so much more because of these prominent ideas and ideals that patriarchy has been so successful in installing. And if I could, I would just focus on these politics because there are so many things that have to change for us. But we will constantly refer back to these kinds of conversations so that we can become a better society. And for me, you know, I'd always be so dumbfounded when I would hear of the experiences of other women that would make me realize that actually I was treated unfairly here. I was harassed there because so many of the things that are wrong in society have become so 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 normal so i certainly do hope that your worldview has been broadened and on that note we end this very thought-provoking and eye-opening conversation with this empowering song by tato jessica it is called freedom from her 2018 album titled rehearsal i need y'all to check that out on all digital platforms on insta she is at tato jessica follow her and see how amazing she is for yourself follow us also on the socials at the ndl show and this is episode 20. Can you believe that I've been reciting where to find us? And I am sure that you know what I am about to say, but listen, we hope that you have been streaming the show on our website on the ndlshow.co.za. Donate. Merch is loading. Stream. Leave a comment somewhere. Let us know what you do when you listen to the show. Anything, really. This is the NDL Show from our producer Tulani Sejo and I. You're now listening to Freedom as delivered by Tato Jessica. Higher.